You are listening to 17 Weeks, and this is Jalen Ramsey, cornerback of the Los Angeles Rams. Welcome to 17 Weeks, the show that gives you a real-time perspective of NFL stars living through the weekly grind of the season. We got real player talk, unfiltered, unrestricted, and of course, uninterrupted. Let's get started with one of the biggest games of last week. The Bills win over the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Cole Beasley had a monster homecoming in Dallas with over 100 yards in a TD to help lead Buffalo to a 9-3 record. When I was there before, they would cheer when I scored. And when I scored this time, everybody was quiet. Meanwhile, Jalen Ramsey and the Rams rebounded from a tough loss to the Ravens to dominate the Cardinals and keep their playoff hopes alive. For me personally, it was probably one of the most boring games that I've played in my NFL career. I only get targeted, you know, a handful of times each game. As always, we've got our guy Lev Bell in New York. The Jets are looking to bounce back from a tough loss to the Bengals when they host the Dolphins this week. I would love to, you know, put the game on my back and I'll take games over. I haven't had one of those games this year yet. It's starting to snow, the playoffs are around the corner, and it's starting to get real. This is 17 Weeks. Quick timeout, 17 Weeks is brought to you by Uninterrupted and SiriusXM. New episodes drop every Thursday, and you can listen to them on demand on SiriusXM and for free on the Pandora app. 17 Weeks is also available on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. All right, it's time for the show. Thanksgiving in the Big D was Cole Beasley's best game yet with the Bills. And Cole put a stamp on the win in an emotional homecoming against his old team. I mean, it was crazy. Just just seeing a lot of the people that I've spent so much time with there. It's kind of full of kind of some mixed emotions um, going into that game. Before the game, I was just catching up with all the guys that I battle with, all the receivers, my receivers coach that was there that I spent most of my time with when I was there, talking to those guys. And, you know, once the game started, I didn't want anything but to win, so... You know, I actually got super tired on the first drive. I don't know if I was too amped or what, but it was like three plays went by and I felt like I was about to die. I didn't know what was going on, but it was a super exciting game. It was, it was fun to play in. And I was glad I could kind of be a part of a team that gave them a whooping. When I was there before, they would cheer when I when I scored. And when I scored this time, everybody was quiet. I didn't even know what to do. And I, like, I wanted to celebrate, but, you know, I was just kind of enjoying the look on everybody's face when I got in the end zone, all the fans... They were so pissed off when I got in the end zone, so I was happy to see it. I actually apologized to Dak after the <laughs> after the game because he, he really didn't want to give me his jersey, and it's for good reason. Like, I, I feel bad for maybe just making him do that because he didn't want to, and he said he would send me one, but I was impatient. I wanted him now. I didn't think he would send me one if I let him go. I mean, I know he's in a different position. He plays quarterback for the Cowboys, so everybody's looking at him all the time, so I understand that. I kind of felt bad for that situation, but people need to understand that these – I don't know that these bonds are way bigger than football and that's really what it is, man. And I, I was kind of like, in the moment, I was like, man, you better give me that jersey. We've been through a, a shit ton of shit together. You know what I mean? For Cole, playing on the Bills has given him a chance to take on a role he wanted back in Dallas. And he's delivered. When I say the coaching staff believes in me, I mean, I, I feel like the Cowboys coaching staff did believe in me, but not to the extent where I wanted to be believed in. You know what I mean? So I wanted a bigger role, and they didn't believe in me that much to give me that bigger role. And now I got that here with the Bills, which is what I've been seeking for probably the last four years of my career. It's just an awesome feeling to finally get to that point in my career where, like, they weren't trying to get me involved in, in Dallas. Like that. It was like a uh, third down's your deal, and then it's only some third downs. Um, whereas, you know, Buffalo, they're, they're trying to get me heavily involved to, to help out the team, which is what I wanted, you know, from the beginning and what I wanted from, from any team, really. The Bills are rolling. Cole weighed in on what makes the Bills team so special and how they compare to some of the best Cowboys teams he played on in the past. 
It was definitely really cool to be part of kind of bringing the Bills back. I think it's probably more meaningful for the guys that have been been here through some of those struggles, but it feels good, man. It, it, it definitely feels good to be a part of, of a team that's that's rolling and, and you know, stacking W's together. So, um, I mean, any, anytime you're winning the NFL, it's, it's a beautiful feeling. I would say the feels pretty similar to the Cowboys team we had in 2016. That was that was Dak and Zeke's first year. It was just a different feel than than what it was before. I think everybody was a lot closer than I've ever really experienced in the NFL. This Bills team definitely has that feel. I mean, it's a brotherhood and everybody's so close and cares for one another, but I think that's just part of playing in Buffalo and everybody's always together. I mean, tonight I took my kids to the facility in the indoor, they had a, a Fisher-Price deal where it was just like a bunch of balance houses and all these cool toys that, from Fisher-Price. And everybody, all my teammates are up there with their kids. So it's just stuff like that always going on. And they definitely make it a cool place by doing some of those things. Le'Veon Bell and the Jets were on a three-game win streak heading into a matchup against the winless Bengals. They dropped a tough game. I don't know how else to say it adding to a difficult season for Lev and his teammates. I got a lot to talk about today. One, I'm a little under the weather, so don't mind my voice or anything. It's just, I haven't been feeling good these last two or three days. And it's crazy how in this life of NFL life, you don't really get the opportunity to really have sick days or off days. You know, you can't just call in off or anything like that. You know, so I had to go through practice today and it was really a struggle for me. But I was able to get through it and have a nice little practice. I always kind of think about it is, but people never really take into consideration like the stuff we kind of like put our bodies through. I think a lot of people see NFL players and they make a lot of money and they feel like we should just, you know, shut up and play football. They don't understand. Like I wake up, you know, some days and I don't feel good or I'm sick or I'm under the weather or you know, I have a stomach flu or whatever it may be. You know, the normal person that's not in the NFL or like, you know, the NBA or some other major sports association. Um, they can just call out or have somebody take their shift or whatever. I wish I could have somebody go in there and take my shift real quick. Hey, man, go just take my shift. On top of the loss, Lev was only given 10 carries on the day. For a guy as competitive as he is, it's tough to feel like you could have done more to help your team win if given the opportunity. You know, honestly, I've been playing in this league for a long time. I've always been kind of used to, like, you know, getting the ball 20, 25, 30 times because that's what my body can handle. That's the type of player I've always been, you know, even in college, you know, um, at Michigan State, you know, I was getting, I was handling the ball that much. I go to the NFL, it's been the same thing. It's been funny this year because it hasn't happened. You know, I understand, you know, the offense is starting to come together and guys are starting to learn and we got a new system and new players up front and we got new coaches and things like that. But I think, you know, for me, I would love to, you know, put the game on my back and, you know, take games over. I haven't had one of those games this year yet. A lot of people don't think, you know, I'm the same player or that I can't do that. And that's just because I haven't had the opportunity really to show. You know, as time goes on, we'll get better. We'll find a way to make things shake. The crazy part about the season, though, is I've seen weirder things happen in the NFL, you know. So until we're, like, officially eliminated from the playoffs, I always kind of got hope. Um, my rookie year um, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, we were 7-8. and eight. And then we played the Browns the last game. We had to win that game, and we had to hope the Chiefs won their game. And the Chiefs had a game when the field goals, like a 35-yarder or something. Um, and the Chiefs kicker missed it, and that's how we missed the playoffs. But at 8-8, eight eight, we would have been in the playoffs as a wild card team. You know, So I, I've seen teams make the playoffs at 7-9. and nine. I'm always optimistic. You know, I, I don't, I'm not going to say we're eliminated until it's official. The Rams were in Arizona last Sunday fighting to keep their playoff hopes alive. And they look like a completely different team than they did against the Ravens. A big win for us as a team out here in L.A. 
uh, against a division opponent, Arizona Cardinals, who's a young team. They got the number number one overall draft pick in Kyler Murray. Got legendary Larry Fitzgerald, legendary Pat Pete on the defensive side of the ball. Terrell Suggs over there as well. Uh, got some gold jacket guys on that team for sure. But we came away with a big win, a good bounce back win too on a short week. And by short week, I mean, you know, we played a Monday night game that took a toll on us physically and mentally because it didn't go the way that we had planned. We thought it, you know, possibly was a little trap game for us. So we had to make sure we came out ready, firing on all cylinders, offense, defense, special teams, to not get caught in a trap. Make sure we got a good W under our belt after what had happened to us last week. They had to get the dub over the Cardinals in order to keep their playoff hopes alive. And it was right on time. They had big games from their big names, QB Jared Goff and Ty Gurley. As for Jalen... For me personally, it was probably one of the most boring games that I've played in my NFL career. That's kind of a battle that I go through nowadays, is that I only get targeted, you know, a handful of times each game, two to three times a game. I have to not get bored. I have to force myself to stay focused throughout the whole game, not get tired with the process, not get lazy on my technique, not get lazy with my eyes. That's the type of game it was for me, but I was fine with it because we were, we were you know, having a good win, blowing him out. Jalen didn't get a lot of action his way Sunday, but he nearly grabbed an interception. He had a potential INT called back, and he's eager to get involved and grab a pick. I feel like I played well again on limited targets, on limited plays, and being able to be super effective. My drought was almost over. I had my pick, uh, and they called it back, man. They called my pick back on a, a roughing the passer that's, that was super questionable. But they called my pick back. It'll come back to me eventually, hopefully this week, because this week we got another big game, important game coming up. For Jalen, the Cardinals matchup was his second chance to line up against legendary Arizona wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald. Before his first game against Larry Fitz, Jalen got a little warning on talking trash from an unexpected source. Uh, the first time I played Larry, it was actually when I was back in Jacksonville. That was the year we were really good in Jacksonville, went to the ASC Championship game. And uh, when we played Arizona, we came out here to Arizona, uh, came out to the West Coast. And I remember uh, before, before we got here, Larry had hit up... <laughs> Had a hit up lady who makes a, a lot of suits for us, like our tailor, basically. Uh, she makes suits and some clothes for us. He hit her up and he said, hey, I need you to deliver a message to Jalen. She hit me up and I said, what's up? What do you want to talk about? She said, Larry said, hey, chill out on him with all the with all the trash talk this game. I, I still think I probably talked a little trash to him, but I chilled on him a little bit. I said, man, Larry, you a legend, man. I, I, I respect your game more than anything, but I got to give you these clips when I'm out here anyway. I felt like I won that matchup too to be honest. So here's the thing about Larry Fitzgerald. Stand-up dude, awesome guy. If you got a bad thing to say about Larry, it says more about you than it does about Larry. But he's also like that uncle that comes to the barbecue, that wants to play one-on-one with his church shoes on, like he's gonna talk trash. And now that Larry Fitz is the super OG, the triple OG, I know he talks a little trash to some of these young dudes. He's out there having a good time. Like, if you pay attention to him, he has a smile on his face. He'll catch a ball on the sideline. He'll go around by the photographers. I even saw him, like, grab the photographer's camera and take pictures. Larry is at that point now where he can really have fun. Just think about some of the older NBA players and, and what they were like towards the end of their career. Like Kobe, towards the end, he was letting the young guys have it. Jordan, of course, you remember him. But that's what the old guys do. On their way out, it's like their final goodbye to the young pups. Big dogs got to bark. And Larry Fitzgerald is one of the biggest dogs of them all. For the Rams, 
they have another important matchup against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. The Rams are fighting for their playoff lives every week now, and the Seahawks, they're looking unstoppable. There ain't no punks over there. The Seahawks got one of the best records in the NFL. They're coming off a short week now. They just played a Monday night game where they had a big win against the Minnesota Vikings. They got Russell Wilson, who, of course, uh, is one of the MVP uh, front runners. Russ can make a lot of plays with his arm and his feet. He can extend plays. He got good wide receivers. Tyler Lockett can make a lot of plays. Their defense, they got Javion Clowney now. Quandre Diggs over there making plays. They've made trades and acquisitions to uh, improve their team. So I think they're a really good team, and we're going to have to come prepared fully again this week, offense, defense, and special teams, to be able to, you know, compete with them. And, and plus, I don't want to see, uh, I, don't, I don't really want to see the Seahawks receivers celebrating, doing any of these celebrations that they be practicing, because uh, they always got something in their bag, man. So I, don't, I hopefully I don't want to see any of that on this Sunday coming up. Cole and the Bills have a tough matchup this weekend. They are taking on a Ravens team that has won eight straight, including wins over the Patriots and the 49ers. Here's how the Bills are preparing for the league's hottest team. You definitely like to play one of the better teams and compete against them. And so we're excited for that opportunity. It's going to be a heck of a challenge for us. They got a great defense and then everybody knows about their offense as well. So it's going to be a good one. I'm glad I'm glad we got them at home. You know, maybe leading up to it, it feels the stakes feel higher in these December games. But, you know, once once the game starts and, and the whistle blows and you're in between those lines, all that stuff goes out the window and you're just playing ball. So, you know, once you get started, it's back to being a kid again and going out there and, and playing your butt off for your teammates. I mean, as much as I can appreciate Cole Beasley and I can cheer for him as a fan of his game, I didn't expect this team to be as good as they are. I didn't expect... Josh Allen to take that sophomore leap the way that he is taking. I mean, the fact that he's taking the care of the ball so well and making better decisions with the Rock. I mean, it goes to show you how much work he's putting in. He's taking care of the Rock and he has more rushing touchdowns than Lamar Jackson. But you know what's more impressive is that the whole team is riding for this dude. You know, you look at the way the defense responds to Josh. You look at the way that the running backs, wide receivers, offensive line talks about him. I mean, for him to be a young, quiet, very passive, humble superstar, I mean, these guys are are walking behind him like he's been in the league 10 years. And on top of that, they're fun to watch, man. Like, defense flies around. They will smack the shit out of you. Offense, old school, hard nose. They'll run the rock, and they're starting to throw the ball very well. They go grind, put in work, and then they enjoy the results for the work they put in. If I was at this point in the season with a 9-3 record, man, come on, pinch me. I would feel like I'm dreaming. Like, that's perfect. I don't care what happens next. Like, you're, you're one of the best teams in the NFL. After the Texans beat the Patriots Sunday night, Deshaun Watson expressed his excitement after beating Tom Brady, a role model of his growing up. For some guys, there's one player or a team they spend their whole career trying to beat. Here's what Jalen had to say. He's definitely somebody who you would want to beat and you'll be able to tell your kids, like, yes, I beat Tom Brady before. I ha- I have one time when, when I was in Jacksonville, so that was dope. He threw a touchdown on me that game, so I don't know if I'm going to tell my kids that or not. You know, me personally wanting to beat one person, like, oh, I got to beat this one person before I retire. More so than me thinking that, I have more thoughts of, like, before I retire, I have to win a Super Bowl. Or before I retire, man, I got to have the best, know how I feel, I have the best record in the NFL. I had those type of, type of thoughts just because I know uh, like I mentioned earlier, playing corner, I can only do my job. I can't, you know, football is the ultimate team game. 
and you got to have it put all together. Everybody got to play and put it all together to reach that one common goal. So I understand that. I understand I can't go out there and, and, and do everything and make everything happen. And for Cole, it's a bit of a different story. Uh, I took down the Cowboys. So that was that was pretty much mine right there. I just wanted to beat the Cowboys. I mean, you want to win the you want to win the Super Bowl. So whoever whoever we would we could play in the Super Bowl would be cool. I would want to beat them. That would be my thing. But for now, it's only been the Cowboys because I left there and I wanted to beat them. I always wanted to beat the Patriots so I could say that I did. Now, when it came to players specifically, it changed every year. I didn't have one guy on my mind. I played against Dion when he played for the Baltimore Ravens. I kind of checked that off the list, even though that was like older Dion. I fanboyed out, and I remember looking at Dion, and he was in the slot guarding me as the nickelback, and I had like a bubble route. It's like a quick screen. I was looking at him, I was thinking to myself, asking for his shoes, asking for his shoes. And that was like the fanboy, the fanboy on one shoulder, and then like the, the too prideful Nate on the other shoulder was like, Bro, you're a grown-ass man. Don't ask nobody for their shoes. Like, what are you doing? Like, you got to play. The, the ball is about to be snapped. And then the other one was like, nah, man, if you just ask him for his shoes, like, he'll be he'll be flattered. And then after the game, he'll give them to you, and you guys will be friends forever, man. All the while, the quarterback's like, damn, set. This one like having this internal dialogue. And I was like, all right, well, say this. If you catch the ball, then you have to give me your shoes. And then the other guy was like, Nate, you don't have enough time for that. Like, and then he's like, hey! And I caught the ball, and he tackled me. In my head, I was like, oh, cool, man. Dion just tackled me. And I jogged back to <laughs> All that happened within, like, 15 seconds of me standing at the line of scrimmage. And then you know what's crazy is I could have stiff-armed him. I like I, That was my thing. That was my move. I could stiff-arm anybody into earth. I shake you up, catch you off guard. Your base would widen, and then you would drop your arms because you'll get into a football position. And from there, I just put my hand right on your helmet, and I'll shove you into the ground. It was easy for me. And I thought, oh, I should try to stiff arm Dion. But then I, I would have felt bad if it would have it would have been successful. Like, you know, it would have been like my crossing over Jordan, like Iverson crossing over Jordan. So I like literally, I just, I'm not going to say I gave him the tackle, but I definitely didn't fight for extra yards. You know what I'm saying? But now I work with Dion. That's my dog. The win over the Cowboys put the increased pressure on Cole's former head coach, Jason Garrett. And the majority of the pressure is coming right from the top in Jerry Jones. Cole told us a little bit about how unique Jerry's approach to management can be. Being in Dallas, there's always going to be all this crazy stuff going on outside of the locker room and outside of the people you work with every day. You know, the media is huge there and they're America's team, whatever, most popular team in, in the world or whatever. So when you lose a few games there it's like the sky is falling everybody panics you know jerry's gonna say what, what he what he thinks and um he's he's at the front of the organization and he's done that before this is nothing new so um they know how to handle it and everything so i see jerry way more in dallas than i see the owners here the pagulas the pagulas are a little bit more in the background they let the football personnel the coaches and gm and everything handle the interviews and everything and they're not doing that so that's that's the difference and i don't know if if we we're playing bad if i don't think the pagulas would come out and say the coaching staff needs to do a better job this and that because they're not really getting interviewed like that and they don't want to be in front of the organization like that they want the coaches to handle it and them just be behind the scenes with all this talk of Jason Garrett, let's not forget about the news on the NFL coaching front midweek. The Panthers fired head coach Ron Rivera after nine years with the team. Jalen knows what it's like going through coaching chaos. 
This is a business. That's something that I've learned throughout my four years being in the NFL. That's something I learned early, actually. The coaches who drafted me, and, you know, my rookie year, they got fired at the end of the year. And, you know, I had to go into get having an interim head coach. And the next, during that offseason, they hired our interim coach. And I've had him since. And then, you know, being traded, having a new coach here. So I've been, you know, through three coaches now in my four years of NFL experience. You can't really do anything about that. Uh, as a player, you got to just focus on what you got to focus on and, and play the game. But it is a business, man. And that's, the, that's something that everybody needs to understand. One play that earned a real celebration was the Dolphins, who pulled off one of the wildest trick plays you'll ever see. They set out the field goal unit. Hawk, the punter, takes the snap. And in the toss. A punter to a kicker touchdown pass? Bro, that was crazy. Here's Lev. You see a lot of trick plays and stuff like that, but that one was just like, that was next level. Obviously, the opposing team didn't know, you know, that guy was obviously an eligible receiver. That's why the play was so unique and it worked. They didn't know he was an eligible receiver, but just setting that whole thing up, whoever came up with that whole concept, you know, they they deserve a, a great round of applause because they did it right there. They definitely did it. Cole, what are some of the wildest plays you've ever been part of? I've been on, like, the bad end of them. I haven't had any wild plays to where it was like, I don't know, we won because of it. The only one I remember that was, like, wild and us losing was the Dez catch in Green Bay in 14. That was the the crazy one I was a part of, but I was on the shitty end of it. (laughs) December means teams are fighting for their playoff lives and for seeding. It also means winter weather is here. The Niners-Ravens matchup was a rainy mess. You tend to remember games when the conditions are just miserable. Cole? I've had two bad ones in my career. One of them was in Chicago, and I think it was like negative 15 with the wind chill or something. It was miserable, dude. Those are like the worst games to play, and the wind was blowing like hell. Anytime it's it's cold as hell and windy as shit, or if it's cold as hell and it's rainy, those are the worst games to play, and they're so miserable. Nobody feels good. They're really just trying to like do anything they can to play good through that situation. And then I, I had one in college uh, against Navy where it was raining and cold as shit. Man, those are the worst games, especially as a receiver. And you, you don't want to catch the ball, and you know you're not going to be able to do much when it's raining because it's hard to even throw the ball in those situations. So it's hard to catch the ball when it's raining. It's, all, it's really hard to catch it when it's cold, too. The ball gets hard as hell. And if it's raining and cold, the ball's hard as hell, and it's like heavy as shit from being waterlogged. So that just makes everything tougher, and it's not as fun to play because it's not. It's almost like, I don't know, not real. <laughs> What about you, Lev? And I'm so glad that the winter games, the winter weather games is here. I've played in a lot of cold games. You know what I'm saying? Playing in Pittsburgh, now I'm playing in uh, York. Um, I played in Michigan State. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I had to play high school playoff games with no heated benches on the sideline <laughs> with negative 17 windshield degree. You know what I'm saying? It, it's been it's been crazy. The only one I really can remember that kind of had me like not even wanting to warm up, this was in college. We was playing... Uh, it's like the last regular season game. We was playing Minnesota. We were definitely outside and we played at Minnesota. That was the probably the coldest game I probably ever played in. And now I can remember playing in because 
And ever since I played in that game, it's like no other game feels as cold. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, I don't play colder than this. You know what I'm saying? But if I had if I had to pick one, there's been a lot of close ones and a lot of cold ones I don't play in. But if I had to pick one, I'll definitely pick that one. It's time to wrap this episode with another edition of Quick Outs, the part of the show where our guys share their quick takes on off-the-field passions, hobbies, and whatever else makes them more than athletes. The Texans linebackers have been making news all year dressing up in costumes on the way to the stadium. This week, they went with a SWAT look. For a lot of guys, the arrival to the stadium is their main chance to show off a little swag. Jalen is a big believer. But yeah, that's become a big, big thing now in the NFL game is, you know, how we come to the game, really, how we walk to the game. What, what, what we dressing like? What's, what's our fashion tip looking like? What, what wave are we on now? Some guys, they, they use it as their runway. Like, yeah, there's my runway. I'm finna show the world that I really put it on. Like, I got drip for days. Some people, they want to, you know, go that route, themes, or be funny, or whatever the case may be. For me personally, myself, it just depends on what mood I'm in. Sometimes I'm feeling chill. I just want to throw on something chill. I ain't really too much focused on that, the walk-up or, or, or the so-called runway, red carpet, whatever you may want to call it. I'm just ready for the game, really. But, you know, I throw, I throw it on. Throw it on with confidence. I throw some drip on here and there. Since I've been out here in L.A., I've been big-stepping. Been having some, some, some big drip. And then let's not forget, last year at the Pro Bowl, I was voted the best dressed at the Pro Bowl last year. So let's not forget that. Who really is the Mr. Big Stepper out here? Who, who is big drip out here? That's me. Drip is crazy. My wave is crazy. So yeah, I'm gonna keep doing that. I'm gonna keep rocking it. On top of a big Thanksgiving Day game, Cole also made news this week, dropping a track with Daryl McDaniels of Run DMC. The coolest thing about that for me was just the experience of being in the studio with DMC and watching him work and, and watching someone who's considered a legend do it and watch their whole process. I mean, I do it how I do it, but I've never really sat and watched someone who actually really has done it for a long time and done it at a high level do it, you know what I mean? So. Um, that was what was so cool about that record to me, just getting to work with him and, and watch him work. He doesn't write anything in the studio, so he can mem like remember everything in his head and, and memorize, like he can write it in his head almost. Like he was in there and he'd go for a little bit and he's like, hold on. He's like, I forgot what line I had after that. And then he would think for a little bit. He's like, oh, oh yeah, here it is. And then he'd, he'd punch in and record that. But I don't, I don't know how they do that. I can't remember stuff like that. I didn't need that song to come out for me to want to get in the studio and do more writing and stuff. I mean, I, I've already been doing it. I'm almost actually done with my second album. Um, I've actually written the whole thing already. I just haven't. There's like two or three more songs that I need to record. Any chance I get, I try to educate myself on something new inside of Pro Tools and mixing wise, because I, I want to mix all my own stuff, because only I know how I want it to sound, and it's hard for me. I can't explain to other engineers. Like, I try to explain it, but they don't, they don't, they can't hit it how I want them to. So now I'm getting to the point where, okay, I'm going to mix my own stuff. So I've been just, I mean, I just research every day while I'm at work. Like, I'm doing rehab stuff or, or recovery. That's what I'm doing. I'm researching. I'm just doing research on Pro Tools and different tricks that I can learn just to help kind of make my sound and get it to where I want to. So I'm constantly working on it. Even when I'm, I'm at football, I'm doing it. So when I'm kind of in between meetings and everything and, and done with practice, that's what I do. It's the only time I have to do it because I can't do it well when I get home because I'm with my kids and I'm, I'm a family man also. So I'm, I'm juggling a lot of things at once and it's, it's all about just managing and balancing everything out. Well, that's, that's what my album's about. It's kind of from where I was to where I am now. 
and the whole process and how it changed from from this to that you know what i mean that's that's what the whole album is about and i, I just want to take people through almost an emotional roller coaster of of kind of how i thought about things and then how my thoughts changed over time really just these last two years um is is kind of what it is and it's very conceptual and it's it's i try i'm trying to make it like a story and making it all flow together and i think it's gonna be really cool once i'm done here's lev i've been working i've been doing a lot of recording and, and production and all the behind the scenes things to try to get this album together i think right when the season ends i'm going to kind of hit the ground rolling um it's going to be tracks and videos and, and albums on top of tracks, videos, and albums, like back to back, you know what I'm saying? I, I've been working and I'm ready to release a lot of songs. I just don't think right now is the time. It's because I, I want to make sure I finish out the season, finish out healthy, I'm still optimistic about the playoffs and things like that. So we'll see what happens, but my plan is to drop my album Valentine's Day. That would be the earliest I'll drop is Valentine's Day, it's that Friday. On my birthday, it'd be four days later on the 18th. So if I don't end up dropping it on Valentine's Day, it'd probably be on my birthday. That's my goal. I try to drop it sometime in February. Like I said, I'm sitting on hundreds of tracks. So it's gonna be hard to kind of pin down certain tracks and make an album with, you know, 17, 18 songs and be like, okay, this is an album. Cause it's gonna be hard to try to take the tracks off. That's the beauty of the process, you know, and I embrace it. And on this podcast, myself, Cole, Nate, if me, Cole, Nate had a rap battle, who would win? I'm not trying to be biased. <laughs> I'm gonna say me, but I will say Cole was like, I listen to a lot of music. Actually, me and him, we got to do a track together. Uh, me and him was talking about it. We just never got it done yet, but we will. I just want to get in the studio with him. Cole is a lyrical guy. He's uh, he's like real selective with his beat choices. And I like his beat choices because they're, like, they're real selective. It's like certain types that he likes. And I actually want to get on some type of beat that he likes. So I, it'll make me come out of my realm and, and be a little more lyrical. I, I literally don't go for the lyrical thing. I kind of I kind of make bang. I like, I like going for like songs that's like being in the club or like you can just kind of ride to in the car when you're with your friends, like when girls getting ready and stuff like that. That's what I try to make my songs for, but I think Cole is real lyrical. Obviously, I'm Nate C. He's kind of be like on the NFL Network with bars, going crazy with the bars. I haven't heard of him dropping an album or like singles and things like that. He kind of be on the NFL Network and he dropping bars and letting people know that I can rap, I can do this, you know. A rap battle, man, I don't know, man. I'm being biased, I'll pick myself, but between them two, they both great at what they do, so that'd be a tough choice. Yeah, so I'm gonna just go with a tie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of 17 Weeks. The show is brought to you by Uninterrupted and SiriusXM. You can listen to it on demand on SiriusXM or for free on the Pandora app. This show is also available on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. Wherever you listen to it, though, make sure you subscribe so you can get notified when every episode drops on Thursdays. And if you like what you heard, share the show and spread the love. I'm your host, Nate Burleson. Shout out to my co-hosts, Le'Veon Bell, Jalen Ramsey, and Cole Beasley. This show is produced by Gay Goodwin, Ben Redman, Mike Midas, Matt Ford, Josh Rodriguez, and Paul Idemiller. Sound design and music by Steve Porter. And our executive producer, TD St. Matthew Daniel for Uninterrupted. Till next time, it's 17 weeks. We out. <laughs>